This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. My guest today is Graham Villiers Tuttle, who is EABL's Marketing and Innovation Director. Originally from Ireland, GVT, as we like to call him, has been based in Nairobi since 2018. GVT started in Diageo Island on the graduate program in 2006, working on a variety of global spirits brands and Guinness. In the last 14 years, he has moved up from being a graduate trainee to a marketing director. What a success story. In 2012, he moved to Singapore, where he was seconded into a joint venture with Heineken, winning a gold at Cannes for work on Guinness in the region. Graham then moved to be marketing director for Diageo in Indonesia, leading the development of a total beverage alcohol participation strategy across beer, non-alcoholic, and spirits. In this role, Graham led the Guinness response to the Indonesian off-trade ban crisis, developing award-winning campaigns for Guinness based on local insights with film, press, in-channel, and on-pack executions and growing the Guinness brand. Prior to joining EABL, Graham had for two and a half years led the Guinness brand across Africa, instigating and leading the global Guinness for an extra stout redesign, creating an innovation pipeline, and delivering the new football programs that saw Thierry Henry and Rio Ferdinand come to Africa. At EABL, GVT has overseen the transformation of the EABL marketing and innovation team, which has not only delivered category growth across East Africa, but also delivered new innovations such as Hop House 13 and Guinness Smooth. In this episode, GVT lends his point of view on the role of marketing in an organization and why marketing comms is just 8% of what marketing's output should be. We talk about the Kenyan obsession with Nyamachoma and how it is the center of most occasions. We laugh about the similarities between Ireland and Kenya and what surprised him most about Kenya. Hope you enjoy this episode from my amazing Mzungu boss. So welcome, GVT. So good to have you here. Thank you. Let me first, by fully disclosing that you are my boss. (laughs) GVT is the Marketing and Innovation Director at EABL. And maybe let's start by saying, you know, let's first introduce yourself, your name, because I'm calling you GVT. What does that? What does that really mean? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. My name is uh, Graham Villiers-Tuttle. It's a very long name and a bit of a strange name. I'm Irish originally, and even in Ireland, it's considered a a weird name. (laughs) So I've abbreviated it, or I've been abbreviated. Maybe I should say that. You've been abbreviated (laughs) all your life. (laughs) All my life to to GVT. (laughs) So good to have you here. And uh, GVT, do you remember when we first met? We met in Ireland, I remember. We yeah. met in the office in St. James's Gate, the right. home of Guinness mm-hmm. in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had just joined Diageo. Yes, I was, was probably right? like three months in. Yeah. And I had the privilege to come over to Dublin uh, and I got to meet you. You were getting ready to move to Kenya. That's right. So we're yeah. kind of crossing each other. Yeah. And uh, one thing I remember is uh, one evening we all went out for dinner uh-huh. And um, we were with uh, Haley Savage, who's now in uh, a Sm- Smirnoff Global Brand Team for Diageo. And um, your wife was expecting a second child. <laughs> yeah. And you, you made a comment, you're like, you know, I can't stay out late today because, you know, we're, we're expecting any time now. But we did stay out. <laughs> <laughs> but you left, you know, after a couple of Guinnesses. Swift, swift, swift and efficient. Uh, it, was, it was so interesting. I was like... 
this is how guys in Ireland drink. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we socialize in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. And and now you're a father of three. Yeah. 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 So your last one was born here. Born in Kenya. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. About uh, he's four months old now. So three boys, five and under. Imagine. So it's hectic, but yeah. it's good. Yeah, it's well good. Well done to you and Jane. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So how did you end up first? Let's start about your Diageo journey. How yeah. You, you know, you've been with Diageo 15 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how right. How did you start at Diageo? Yeah. So I, I was, I went straight from campus to Diageo. Uh, I graduated in Ireland in 2006. I, in fact, applied to Diageo in my final year and didn't make it past those uh, tests they do to screen out the early... Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What role were you applying for? I was applying for a graduate trainee. Okay. Yeah, and didn't make it. Got blitzed in the online assessments. Okay. And then, <laughs> thankfully, uh-huh. there weren't enough high-quality candidates. <laughs> so they came back into our I university <laughs> looking for people. And at that stage, I had learned how to do those online assessments. Mm-hmm. So second time, a charm. So I joined Diageo. Yeah, pretty much straight from campus on the graduate trainee scheme, which at that time, it was quite different. eh? At that time, you just were given a 12-month contract in marketing, and you either stayed or didn't stay. Um, And three of us joined that year, two in marketing, one in sales in Ireland. And um, the two of us in marketing are still there 15 years later. Who's the other person? Alan McAleen, and he's the head of Guinness in Ireland. He's Fantastic. also worked across Ghana, Singapore. So we've, yeah, we've, we've had interesting journeys with the company. And what did you study in school? In I did business and politics. And politics? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a bit politically obsessed. I'm <laughs> like a, a political junkie, US politics, British politics. Even now I'm getting yeah, into Kenya. I know. We had a long discussion on politics earlier today. Oof. Yeah. So then you, you joined as a gradu- graduate management trainee in marketing. Yeah. And then what next? So, yeah, I mean, I spent the first uh, seven years of my career really just building functional depth in Ireland. So, you know, started at the bottom and working as an assistant brand manager on the spirits business, uh, then moving around the business quite a bit, different um, categories, uh, different uh, projects. Um, and then I, after seven years, uh, I moved to Singapore. So that was my first international move. Diageo has a joint venture business in Singapore with Heineken. So that was good for me because I essentially left the Diageo business, was seconded into Heineken for two years. Mm-hmm. And Heineken really do treat you very well. Great boss from Heineken. I was really treated like a Heineken employee. So you get to see how a different company runs their operations in the same category as us. And then after Singapore, I moved to Indonesia to be marketing director in Indonesia. That was much more of a stretchy role. I mean, Singapore is, is relatively easy, small island, very first world. Everything is perfect. Uh, huge expatriate population. Indonesia is, um, you know, 280 million people, 300 languages, 1,700 islands, (laughs) 92% Muslim majority population. So both from a language and cultural point of view, really different. But that was a great role in hindsight. I'm not sure I was brilliant at it, but it was very good for me and for my learning and development. Okay, so going back your first seven years in brand management in Ireland, did you know then how you wanted your career to progress? Did you know you were going you wanted to go work abroad? I think immediately no. I was just trying to, you know, I was just enjoying life <laughs> in Diageo and okay. trying to get an understanding of the business and trying to see if I was any good. 
and enjoying lots of, you know, it's a great industry to work in. We sponsor great things. We have great events. So I was really just enjoying enjoying the business. I think after a couple of years, I started, you know, thinking about the fact that I was born in Ireland. I was educated in Ireland. And if I was going to get some real stretch and growth, it was going to be important to move. Okay. And one of the benefits of working for Diageo is we operate in, you know, 183 countries. So right. uh, to me, it's one of the great things about working for a large multinational is the ability to move. But so you, could, you, could have, you could have said, look, I want to go work in North America or Great Britain, but you chose emerging, mar- your path has been emerging markets. Why? Yeah, that one, I think, has been less thought through (laughs) so I would say (laughs) I have no grand plan as such but the opportunities that presented themselves and my skill sets at the time meant that I I, I made moves to emerging markets I think when you move you've got to be really careful eh? so you know an old boss once told me if you move country and continent and brand and function Mm -hmm. then what value are you adding when you land in a Mm -hmm. business um, so most of my background at that time was in marketing in beer. Okay. And most of our beer markets in Diageo are emerging. Okay. Um, so Singapore, I wouldn't call it an emerging market, but it was a great soft landing into okay. a different continent. I knew Guinness really well. I was okay. leading Guinness. So you have to have one thing that you can add some value immediately with as you make those moves. Otherwise, it's really difficult for the the company that's receiving you to understand why they should take you. That's it, really important. Especially because you said even just landing into Indonesia, you're really stretched culturally from, you know, language, people, you know, the business was very different. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to have a center of gravity that means at least I feel confident and comfortable on this thing. And Indonesia was predominantly a Guinness business. So again, while I was you know, out of my depth from a cultural perspective and I was trying to learn a new language and understand a new culture, at least I knew the brand I was working on very well and I had good connections back to the global brand team and I felt like I could leverage some support. So I think when you're moving, you've just got to understand from day one, you have to add some value. So where's that value coming from? Okay, so from a career growth perspective, what did Indonesia do for you? I think Indonesia challenged me probably more than any role I've taken. And there was a few reasons for that, eh? if, I'm, if I'm really transparently honest. So one was obviously cultural stretch. The second was, was company stretch. It was a company where Heineken actually brew for us in Indonesia and we yeah. uh, sell through one national distributor. So, the, you know, usually in marketing, you have end-to-end control or, mm-hmm. or it's, it's nice to have end-to-end control from supply all the way through uh, to route to consumer. That was a role where you had to have a lot more influence okay. yeah, versus direct control. And in a, in a challenging culture or a new culture, that really stretches your leadership capability. So, yeah, I, I mean, I learned a ton just from the way the business was structured and from the challenges the business faced. I would also say, you know, when I was there, unfortunately, after about six months, we had a government regulation which which suddenly came into force which was that beer was not allowed to be sold in the off-premise channel which at the time was about 70% of our numeric distribution wow. yeah so that was <laughs> so uh, the business collapsed <laughs> yes yeah I mean pretty, it re- much. pretty much yeah and it was a very unexpected you know volatility from from the government that was very challenging and so what did you do you know I or not do yeah yeah <laughs> 
At the time, I think my initial reaction was that this was a corporate relations challenge. This is a piece of mm. volatility that's government generated that felt really punitive. Mm. And so my initial reaction was to look at the corporate relations team and hope for a solution. Mm. I think, you know, with hindsight and maybe a bit more maturity, you've got to realize that almost every issue is a marketing issue or almost every issue has a marketing implication and response that needs to be well chartered out. So that's a really strong statement. Here you were thinking it's somebody else's job to fix this, but yeah. you're saying marketing is such a strategic function that it was really marketing should have, you know, should leadership here. Exactly. And I think if you even think about COVID as a good yeah. example of, of something relatively similar that's happened to our industry. Mm-hmm. Marketing has a ton of obligations. I mean, first of all, you've got yeah. to understand where the consumer is yeah. and you've got to have a pretty dynamic read of the consumer to understand how they're being affected. And then I think marketing has a big obligation in companies where marketing is at the fore. And let's be honest, those are the companies you want to work for to set out a clear narrative and path to recovery for businesses. That is the obligation of the marketing team and the marketing director. So when COVID hit here in East Africa, yeah. what did you and the marketing team, which I am part of, yes. what did we do? No, I think we did. Look, <laughs> From I a think marketing point of point view. Point of view, yeah. You, yeah. I think the first thing we did, and you'll remember, is we said, you know, we usually get relatively stable, timed reviews of the overall consumer in the yeah. market yeah and particularly does tend to drop annually for us in terms of yeah. in-depth reviews correct and i think the first thing we agreed as a team was that was not going to be sufficient correct. that wasn't fit for purpose yeah so we accelerated a much more dynamic and iterative review of where the consumer is yeah. and and we deployed that through mobile technology so so we didn't need face-to-face -face, yes. uh, consumer research yes. and we could do it really fast yes. and we could do it when we wanted to do it right so and i'm very impressed by the consumer planning team charles okanya and the team because that has really been an enabler for us it meant that anytime there was an announcement at state house in kenya or uganda or tanzania we were able to roll out a consumer read to see yeah. a few weeks later, what did that mean for how consumers were feeling? Yes. What did it mean for their e macroeconomic situation? Yes. Yeah. What did it mean for their consumption of alcohol? Where right. were they purchasing? Where were they visiting? How were they socializing? Yeah. And that's such an important, it's very difficult to do anything in terms of response, unless you know those things. Yeah. Remember that really shaped, uh, we went into quarterly, yeah. almost monthly or sometimes quarterly planning. Yeah. Basing on that, what is the consumer behavior, their you know, their perceptions, where they you know, the occasions that are changing. Yeah. The macros were changing. And remember it was always based on a decision that's been made that is changing the environment. So we were we were not static. We were so dynamic and so fluid and so agile. And I appreciate that about EABL because we were able to, you know, flex that very quickly and make decisions. Yeah. yeah, and I, and it's been Im incredibly important even just to give senior stakeholders clarity on what's happening and confidence to invest. And remember, as marketing, yes. you are really responsible for giving the business confidence in your investment and your likely return on investment. So that, I think, stopped yeah. any knee-jerk reactions. So one of the things I, I, I know we did not do, we did not stop investing Yeah, uh, from a marketing point of view. There's some 
companies globally, locally who did. Yeah. What's your advice on that? So I think it was it was difficult eh, if you step back because, you know, it was there's a really clear playbook for how to market during a recession. And you market during a recession, you do not stop investing. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge in the early days of COVID was a pandemic is not necessarily the same as a recession. And depending what Mm -hmm. industry you're in, I mean, KQ, etc., I'm sure they were so severely impacted that they were forced to pause. Some companies must have been forced to pause. I think for those of us who managed through the initial COVID wave and realized that actually business was going to be not what it was, but it was going to be reasonably stable. And we were yeah. more we were more than diagnosing this feels maybe more like an upcoming recession. Yeah. Um, then I think there's a really clear playbook. And again, as marketeers, you know, it's incumbent upon us to be aware of how to market in different economic conditions. Correct. And then something that we haven't had too much in, in Kenya is is economic recession. So there's, you know, but but there's plenty of examples from the economic crisis in 07 or from yeah. different markets in West Africa of how to manage through a recession and come out winning market share. What else did we do from uh, employing tech, from a tech point of view when the pandemic first hit? I, I mean, the other thing I really appreciate about working in East Africa is the speed at which we can move. And I think a good example of that was direct delivery e-commerce so i mean literally over a weekend the team in kenya set up a whatsapp function to allow direct delivery from our distributors which has now evolved into an an e-commerce portal called party central yeah but i i was struck at the time i think it just landed in a whatsapp group on a sunday afternoon (laughs) that we were suddenly you know connecting distributors to consumers through boda bodas um to allow you know consumers to enjoy our products at really good uh, prices and I think that was important it was a sign of us just being agile it was a sign of us investing in emerging channels and it was also a sign of the team being really switched on you know we remember you know everybody's working from home uh, there's a lot of nervousness even about that true but I think the team really punched through to, to deliver brilliantly but as marketers, you know, would argue that, you know, it's EABL, you guys have the resources, you can do this. Yeah. Would you say that was the case or? I mean, parties that that's uh, I, I don't think that e-commerce direct delivery breakthrough was predicated on resources. To be honest, I think it was just a couple of people understanding the business end to end and figuring out a solution that's pragmatic versus the market we work in about how to get products to consumers safely and, and quickly. I think, you know, obviously now we've evolved that to Party Central. There is there is more resource going into Party Central. So that that is helpful, obviously, that we're a big business and we can do that. But I think the initial entrepreneurial skill and speed actually just came from the Kenyan marketing team. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, I just want to talk about the importance of injecting technology into marketing. Yeah. Do you see enough of that um, here locally? I think... The challenge we have as a marketing community is when we try and separate digital or tech from marketing. I mean, just at, at you know, at its most basic, what is our role and responsibility? Um, our role is to you know diagnose the issues and opportunities in our brands mm-hmm. and our portfolio, set the strategy, and then execute the tactics or say let's say the four Ps to make sure that consumers enjoy our brands and we win market share. Now all through that, tech is embedded. Yeah. yeah? Whether it's yeah. diagnostics, like we've talked about understanding where the consumer is, 
whether it's setting the strategy or whether it's how you execute and and activate your brands. Yes. Tech is embedded all through the journey now. And I sometimes get worried when we, as a marketing community, don't un- understand that or, or feel like tech is something separate and different and, and therefore owned by somebody else. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a worry. mistake. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so just looking back in the last maybe 12 to 18 months, which marketing campaign would you, have you seen that you would say, you know, has really been effective locally or globally? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a company I watch that I admire is, which might sound like a, a strange company to watch and admire, is Lego. Um, I feel like the Lego work is really interesting. I mean, that is a brand that I guess had a lot of love, but pretty latent um, equity, yeah. but has transformed through really brilliant partnerships, through, you know, movies and putting the brand in culture in cool ways. Yeah. And also, I think just behind all of that, a really clear strategy about celebrating play that's yeah. worked uh, brilliantly. So that is a company I, I watch a lot and I feel like do a lot of brilliant work. How do you stay on top of trends? How do you keep learning? I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes, um, we know this because you're <laughs> always sending us links to podcasts on our WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts and follow a lot of uh, marketing people on Twitter. And uh, yeah. yeah, and then I think, you know, learn a lot by doing, learn a lot by you know, just being conscious of what's working and what's not working in work. But, you know, we are very lucky now, eh? Like, you can follow the best marketing thinkers online. Yeah. You can listen yeah. to them every time they do a podcast. And and I call that mentorship. You know, a lot of yeah. times people say, oh, can you be my mentor? Yeah. I'm sure you get asked. But I say I can actually follow somebody and they'll mentor me by you know what i what they share and you know totally you know listening to their talks and what have you yeah. so you don't have to have a physical or one-on-one relationship yeah. with a marketing leader you can just go online and and follow that, them and yeah and think about how it's democratized right i mean Absolutely. when we when we were starting out you know to get to listen to the best marketing speakers maybe you'd have to get sent to london yes, to sit in a conference, conference yeah, yeah. <laughs> for three days and drink bad coffee and eat bad food i know yeah. how things have changed but now you've got guys who like you know you've got um, scott galloway or mark ritson um doing yeah. podcasts you've got byron sharp on twitter les Bennett on twitter i mean these guys are yeah the real thought leaders and shapers of the marketing industry you can get them on your phone wherever yes. you are for free all yeah. the time so and, and, and now we have this MSK podcast. I have to plug yes. in, which we have now yes. marketing leaders who were exactly. in Africa. Yeah, you can listen to totally. So, so for a, a young marketer, do they need a mentor, a coach, or a sponsor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know it's interesting. I think, <laughs> and the terms get very confused, eh? I mean, what's the difference to you? Okay, so I think for me, a mentor is somebody who you can pick up the phone to to get advice about career, about business challenges, about things that come across uh, your desk or your life uh, now and then, which requires somebody who's maybe a bit more seasoned or who's been around a bit longer or who has a unique perspective that will help you. Yeah. yeah. I think a coach is very different. Yeah. yeah. A coach is somebody who will sit with you and help you to unlock your own challenges that you might face day to day. And coaching tends to be, at least my understanding of good executive coaching is it tends to be, you know, 
quite high intensity and high yeah. frequency uh, to, to and it's really about you know behavioral change in the coachee so that's very different to a mentor yeah, yeah? and then i think you know first and foremost for every young marketeer is they need they need a great line manager they need to work in a great organization that pu- that values marketing and puts marketing to the fore otherwise you're going to spend a lot of your time being quite frustrated mm. yeah so i think those are those are how i would separate those three you know learning spaces let's say that that people can have in their careers so do they need a sponsor <laughs> i think i think yeah i know there's an east african obsession with with sponsorship which has a which has a shady background but yeah. people need to understand that you know in working environments in corporate life it's important that people know you're doing a brilliant job yeah and that you're connected with people that can ensure that you can grow and learn and get better so everybody has a, a stakeholder map yeah. or a matrix of relationships yeah. the first and most important of which is with your line manager so that you know you're doing a great job for your boss and you're you're well valued and your contribution is understood but obviously in bigger organizations there are multiple stakeholders that can grow your career and help you uh, accelerate and and guide you and give you good insight and can see things that you can't see and maybe your line manager cannot yeah. see but for me i think it's it's better to be self-reliant than you know have your career connected to one sponsor i agree yeah so i like what you're saying know your stakeholders so yeah. map them out yeah. whether you're in a small large or you know uh, a corporate map out who your stakeholders are yeah and then have a plan on how you make sure you're engaging them regularly exactly yeah so you, there's visibility they know what you're working on don't yeah. be shy yeah and what have you okay how would you say that you know you've now worked in kenya east africa for the last three years yeah culturally is it something that we do very well you know showing up engaging visibility you know networking i i as an outsider yeah what would you say I mean, it can be, it's really dependent on the individual, I would say. Okay. I mean, I probably have a dozen people that I am, let's call it mentoring, although it's quasi-coaching, okay. yeah, across Diageo, some of whom are East African, some of whom are West African, some South African. Okay. And while there are some cultural differences, you know, your West African cousins in Nigeria tend to be a bit more demanding. Um I think there's a lot comes down to the individual and and a lot comes down to how the individual uses time with senior stakeholders to get clarity, insights and builds and acceleration. And, you know, my big advice to people is just to be never be afraid to reach out because I've never really reached out to anyone in our organization and and not found a listening ear but also be very intentional about what you're connecting for and what you're trying to understand and unlock and achieve and and sometimes i think that that depth can be missing yeah, yeah. so people feel like uh, well you know if we speak and if i just get time with you then you you'll protect me and i think that's, that's you know yeah. not a brilliant use of anyone's time so just intentionality around what are you trying to get help with? What are you trying to unlock in your work? Where where do you need support? Where can this particular person, you know, give you some insight and advice? And then how can you, you know, get that accelerated into work? Okay. 
you know, some would argue, I mean, I think just talking about the culture at ABL where yep. the leadership is very accessible. Yeah. But not all organizations are like that. Fair. If I find myself in a, an organization that's very, I don't want to say bureaucratic, but it's not very flat. Yeah. And I really, what do I need to do differently? Whereby I'm not, my line manager doesn't think, oh, she's going above my head. You know, what would you advise? Yeah, I, th- I think your number one stakeholder, you know, when you're starting out is always going to be your line manager. And you've mm. got to have a lot of trust and a good working relationship with your line manager. Your line manager has to know that you are there to deliver the work brilliantly and to support them. And I think once that's established, everything else becomes a lot easier because yeah. then you don't really have, as a line manager, I mean, I have just zero issue with anyone at any level engaging right. with our general manager or a group MD because I know the team very well and I know they do, they do great work. So your line manager has to be always your number one, you know, your number one stakeholder and your number one point of contact. And after that relationship is very solid, I think you have a lot of freedom. But, you know, one of the challenges we have in East Africa is, and all emerging markets, I would say, it's also true in the emerging markets I've worked in in Asia, is that young marketing talent moves around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I understand why, because, you know, everybody is in high demand and everybody can get a 5, 10, 15% pay increase every time they move. move. But it does create massive functional capability gaps down the line and one of the big things i think we need to be cautious as uh, as a marketing community in kenya is are our brand managers our assistant brand managers our senior brand managers actually functionally capable are they fully equipped to be brand managers or have they got six or seven years experience across five or six organizations in which time they've done work left and I think that's really dangerous eh, for us as a marketing community in, in Kenya because it's very important when you're starting out that you compound your learning that you execute some work um, that you sit back and review it to yeah. see how it worked that you write a new plan execute that plan sit back and review it and then <laughs> go again because that is the only way you become functionally adept and competent yeah, so, okay, you know, it's it's easier said because you've been with the same company for 15 years. Yeah. Obviously, you've changed roles and, yeah. and grown. But what would you say are the core functional capabilities you would look for in a, that a brand manager needs to develop and grow? Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I appreciate I've been with one company for 15 years, so it's easy for me to say, you know, that people need to compound their learning. But I would be really, you know, honest. I find it very difficult to interview anybody who has you know six times 12 months experience across six different organizations yeah, because i think flag, yeah. yeah it sets us it doesn't set people up for success whereas you'll find that even if people have worked for four or five six different companies if they've done you know three to four year stints in different companies at least a few times in yes. their career that's when they will have had mo- most functional growth yes. um so that's really as you know as an employer um, when i'm interviewing or assessing talent that is one of the big challenges i see for us in kenya people want to move very fast yes. they want to get to the top very fast and they think the way to do that is to move consistently and not do too long in one role i think that's very a mistake yeah, yeah. It yeah. is a huge mistake. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, what what we would look for for great talent, I mean, um 
I, for me, it's just understanding the full end-to-end spectrum of marketing. Yeah, so not being obsessed with communication. I was listening mm. to a podcast recently, and they had actually evaluated the percentage of a marketeer's role that's communication. And what was that? Eight percent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Eight percent, and they they positioned it interestingly. They said, you know, marketing community, the marketing community can be obsessed with communication because yeah. it's how consumers fully experienced marketeers, right? It's the work that's all ours. Yeah. yeah. So that TV ad, that piece of out of home, that event, it's all ours. And therefore they say, well, that's that's marketing. But actually portfolio, price, you know, positioning, diagnostics, strategy, right. those are the things that really we spend the most of our time on. And also understanding the full organization. So when I'm, you know, when we're looking for great marketing talent, we're looking for that aptitude to yeah. think very broadly. Yeah. And we're looking for that attitude of curiosity and intelligence to be able to solve business problems creatively. Yeah, so aptitude, you know, being the general manager for your brand, yeah. you're running a business, yeah. and attitude is so important. Yeah, you've got yeah. to bring a lot of curiosity, energy, and yeah. resilience to any marketing role, I think, in any organization. Yeah. So those are kind of key, key traits we would look for. Okay. So um, to lighten it up a bit, yes. What what has what surprised you most about Kenya, or what did you th- you know like you coming into the market, yeah, and, and anything not necessarily marketing related. What surprised you most, or what didn't surprise you? You know, I remember the first <laughs> day in Kenya, we were doing some work on occasions. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember this. We were doing occasion research, and one of the things I just I was thinking, can this be true? Like every single. Kenyan occasion involves nyama. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing nothing that happens where there's not some nyama joma. So I remember thinking at the time, is this true, this obsession with eating meat? Is this, and I'm a vegetarian, eh? Or at least I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, not a huge meat eater. So I remember being like, and okay. And you did a full big campaign on Tusker Nanyama. Tusker Nanyama, I know. Then I knew it was true. Then we became butchers. Then I knew it was true. So that is something that's very surprising. But no, I think the other thing that's true is, there's a lot of commonality between you know, Kenyans, East Africans, and mm-hmm. and Irish people. It's interesting, you know, from a cultural perspective, storytelling, the role of religion in society, being post-colonial, I think probably has a big part to play in it as well. So our histories are kind of quite similar, surprisingly similar, and therefore the culture is also surprisingly similar, okay. which obviously from the outside, if you think Ireland is in Europe, Kenya's in East Africa, yeah. you know, you wouldn't expect so many deep similarities, I yeah. think. But it's it really is quite a connected culture. Yeah. I found that when I went to Ireland, I found that people were so warm like Kenyans. Yeah. Very friendly, warm, yeah. a lot of storytelling in the taxi, the guys giving you stories. <laughs> Aye, they Have don't you stop. had those experiences with Uber drivers? Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 completely. Uh, yeah, totally. And I feel like, you know, Kenya and Ireland, they're countries where people socialize across generations and across socioeconomic classes. You know, it's a very integrated society, which is also true in Ireland. So yeah, a lot of a lot of similarity in our agriculture as well, being the backbone of, of the economy. So yeah, I think we're very connected. So you would go to the pub with your parents? Yeah, you, okay. yeah, yeah, of course. And in the pub, same pub could be your grandparents. Okay. And also some 18 year olds. <laughs> so it's very confusing, especially in rural Ireland. You know, it's very confusing, okay. um, but very integrated. What surprised you from a marketing point of view, the marketing landscape? 
I mean, we are privileged in EABL with the position we hold in the market. We're a very big company, Kenya, and we're the second biggest taxpayer in the market. So it's ve- again, it's very similar to the position we would hold in Ireland. We have a lot of national brands in EABL. Yeah. Tusker, obviously, Bell in Uganda, Serengeti in Tanzania, and Guinness in Ireland also plays mm-hmm. that role. So that yeah. national heritage, national icon, you're disproportionately judged, I think, by your work because people are emotionally engaged in the brands you work on, Correct. which is brilliant. You know, it, it feels, yeah, it feels like a real privilege to be working for a company that has such a big role to play in Kenyan culture. So what has been your proudest moment as a marketer for EABL in the last three years? Wow, for EABL, I think I probably get most satisfaction from the team. Yeah, I think as a team, we have seen a lot of people be promoted. Yeah, yeah. so it's I been think. Fantastic. In fact, I was sitting with HR the other day, and I think we've promoted nine of the marketing team in Kenya in the last twelve months. That's fantastic. Which is great, right? Yeah. And we have, and it, when I look at EABL, we have Ugandan talent that's moved to London. We yes. have Tanzanian talent that's moved to Uganda. We have Kenyan talent that's moved to Uganda. We have Ugandans in Tanzania. So we have managed to create a lot of opportunities for people to accelerate their career, to accelerate their learning, to move overseas if that's what they want to do. So we get a lot of satisfaction from that. And it's because you put people as a focus. Yeah, yeah, people are. You did put people as a focus. Yeah, 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 people and culture. Because I think without that, what is it all about, right? Correct. So that's, I think I've taken a lot of pride from that. And, And I do think the way the team has managed through COVID has been... Uh, I'm very impressed with how this, the company and the team has managed through COVID because we've been disproportionately affected as an industry. Correct. Bars are still shut in Kenya at seven. Uh, Uganda bars are still closed fully. We've had a lot of headwinds and I'm really impressed by the resilience. And I think it comes down to the entrepreneurial skill of the people in our team and the resilience of the people in our team and their creativity to manage through that. And if you look at the last set of results EABL posted, that is a set of results to be hugely proud of. Yeah. But I think it also from your leadership, I mean, what I got from it is you enabled us to be very focused and prioritize ruthlessly. Mm -hmm. So stop doing all that. Let's focus on X, Y, Z. And then, you know, put the resources and the support behind that. I think that that was amazing. You know, one of your, you know, the, the marketing, the EABL marketing ambition. Tell me what the statement is. I know you're asking. <laughs> yeah. What is your ambition for yeah. EABL marketing? So we want to become the most effective, engaged and respected marketing team in Diageo globally. Okay. Why? Yeah. Because, so why is that important? Yes. I think it's important because every day we come to work, I want an entire organization that feels engaged. Yeah. And we have the privilege of brilliant brands, great investment, great position in the market to have a very engaged and fired up uh, marketing team. We also have the benefit of having a great big structure, which can allow a lot of personal development to have a very engaged team. In terms of effective, I think there is just constant room, no matter what organization you're in, to make your marketing more effective. And tech has enabled a lot of that in terms of return on investment, understanding and clarity about how we spend our money and and how it comes back in in terms of sales and brand equity. And in terms of respected, I think 
you know, we probably, I probably, as a marketing community in EABL, we probably haven't been noisy enough about the great work we're doing, both inside Diageo and in the wider marketing community. So just making sure that our great work is recognized and seen. And as a marketing team, we spend sufficient time understanding the importance of things like winning awards, doing thought leadership uh, pieces, because it's very good for your employer brand. Yeah? yeah. Not only is it good for you as, as a marketing community and marketing people to understand how well or not our work has gone, but it's also great for employer brand. It attracts the best talent. But And, you know, there's some brilliant work across different categories in Kenya. I was so impressed at the last MSK, you know, and, you know, it's great to have companies like Coca-Cola, like Safaricom, like Unilever, etc., that can yeah. deliver such brilliant work, uh, KCB, etc., because it helps set a standard across the market yeah. um, in, in within the function. So whether you're in you know, telco or alcohol, it really drive. I think we can drive each other on brilliantly. But uh, GVT, how do you measure engagement? You know, you said you want to be the most engaged marketing team. How do you measure it? How do you know you're we're doing it yeah. yeah so I know culture is hard to measure and yeah. then engagement is my shortcut for culture and culture is difficult to measure we do an annual review directly assesses the engagement of uh, our team I think that's great but it's also a point in time so you have to be careful with spot data like that yes so we have a culture council in the marketing team and we get I think more real and raw feedback from them about areas we can improve as a marketing leadership team. And also I spent, you know, uh, at least one evening a month with two or three parts of the team just having a drink and getting feedback. So for me, that's the best. Skip levels. Skip levels, yeah. yeah. That's your qual research for engagement because if guys don't show up or if guys show up (laughs) with a list of long (laughs) list of complaints, you know that something's not working in terms of the engagement of the team. That's a really good way to, to gauge that. What about effectiveness? How do you measure marketing effectiveness? So we are very lucky in Diageo. We have a proprietary system called Marketing Catalyst, which literally measures the return on investment of every pound we spend. And that system has, I think, been a game changer for us in Kenya. Yeah, it's taken us a few years to get the right quality of data into the system to have the right quality of outputs. But now from a you know, going all the way back to strategy from a brand investment point of view, which brands to invest, what behind, from then a channel selection point of view, how much money to spend above the line, how much to spend below the line. And then within that, from a media channel selection perspective, Catalyst has really guided us on how to get more efficient and effective as a marketing team. And actually in Kenya, I think we've made the most strides versus any market in Diageo in terms of uh, increasing our return on investment, which is great. Yeah. So like you said, we're fortunate we have this tool. Yeah. For organizations that don't have such a tool, sure. how should you know, you know, you as a brand manager be talking about effectiveness to your stakeholders? Yeah. I think yeah. At, at the very basics, if you step back and consider how much of your budget um, is measured and evaluated, Mm-hmm. And it's always shocking, eh? Mm-hmm. Or it's usually quite shocking. Mm-hmm. If it was your own business, would you review the effectiveness of your spend? That's true. You would. And and again, I think if you step back, um, one of the questions I've become addicted to asking is, why are we doing what we're doing? Yes. So before you even go to spend, you know, we would. It w- it's 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 vital that there's a clear set of KPIs and what you're trying to drive and deliver. 
And the spend measurement and evaluation then is just against were those achieved or not achieved. And I think if you, you know, whatever your budget, you can set that out quite clearly, right? If you just think about the, the, the funnel of marketing, you've done your your analysis in your diagnostics, you've written your strategy, you now have clear KPIs on what you want to do for your four Ps. You spend your money, you assess have, have those been delivered or not. And, you know, tech has democratized m a a lot. It yeah. can be just that you're sending a simple WhatsApp survey to, you know, X hundred people to see if they've seen your advertising, if they've had a change in purchase behavior, if they've sampled your product, if yeah. they've generated trial or repurchase. But I think if you haven't got a simple M&E funnel in place, it's very difficult to justify your existence. Yeah, and ultimately, those all those campaign metrics, your brand health, your campaign KPIs, yeah. all should roll up to a business outcome. So yes. you're showing, I grew market share, I grew exactly. sales, I grew my profit. Yeah. And that's, I think, what is really core to show your stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. did this translate to? It's not something you'll read every day, but you'll over time, this is what it's coming out to. Exactly. Yeah. I know one of the things that people have struggled with during COVID is what is the right metric for success? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think Diageo have done a great job globally of just really clarifying and saying, you know what, guys, it's just about beating the competition. Yeah. So as long as you're winning market share, you know, that is a great uh, statement of the effectiveness of your spend because we're not in control of the macro environment, how many people are out and about, what channels are open. So therefore, just winning market share becomes a very clear and unifying KPI. Um, So just getting a bit of consistency around what success looks like is also really important. But GVT, some people argue when ABL talks about winning market share, you know, what more is there to win? <laughs> yeah, I know we have a, we have a big position in Kenya on beer, but we're, we're an interesting company because if you go to Uganda, we're 50-50 with yeah. ABI. If you go to Tanzania, we're the plucky underdog. Yeah. yeah, we're the smaller organization. If you move into spirits, there are a ton of competitors, both international and local in Kenya and across the other markets. So... I know people, particularly in Kenya, we think about EABL through the lens of beer and uh, and Tusker, etc. But across the markets, EABL is in different positions in different countries. What's the one book every marketer should read? How Brands Grow by yeah. Byron Sharp is a it's a bit dry, <laughs> no, but, it <laughs> but it's probably the bible for how brands grow. <laughs> so it's thirty years of of uh, analysis across multiple countries and continents across multiple categories. And there are some pretty indisputable truths in that book that are applicable to any marketeer anywhere in the world. The other one that's good just from a Bible perspective is The Long and the Short of It by Les Bennett. So that one looks at long-term brand investments versus short-term tactical investments and how the two can work together and balance. And those are probably the two most fundamental questions that the marketing community has to constantly answer. Yeah, Yeah. how do we get brands to grow? And what is the payoff or what is the um, balance between promotion and pricing versus long-term brand effectiveness? So those two, I think, are 
are really important. What have you enjoyed most about Kenya? What do you like to do for fun? Ah, Kenya's great. No, I've loved living here. I mean, I love living here. We are at risk of you staying here forever. You know, yes. A Kenyans, a lot of uh, <laughs> foreigners who come and then... I'll be one of those mazungus in <laughs> Nanuki with a ranch. <laughs> yeah. Buy a plot in Nanuki. Yeah, you'll never get rid of me. No, I've... Uh, I mean, I, I love... Okay, coming from Ireland, I love the weather. That's the first thing you have to say. So yeah. as we speak today now, it's gloomy outside, but still it's like a summer's Not day. Long. <laughs> Not sure. for long. The afternoon will be sunny. Exactly. And for us in Ireland, sunny is 18 degrees. So <laughs> yesterday it was 28, 30 degrees in Kenya. So the weather is fantastic. I think the lifestyle here is brilliant. Um, there's a great balance between a vibrant Nairobi with lots of stuff going on and lots of great things to see and do and then just an amazingly beautiful country and everybody in the world knows about the Masamara and you know the Kenyan bush but I think the coast has been a surprise to me I really didn't know how amazing the Kenyan coast is so that's been what's your favorite part of the coast so I love Watamu Yeah. yeah I just really love Watamu I just think it's easy and chilled and the weather is amazing and the food is great so uh yeah I just I really love the coastline Thank you, DVT. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Great. No, yeah. my pleasure. And see, none of this was career limiting. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so we're safe. <laughs> so I won't be uh, walked out when I go to the office today. <laughs> no, <laughs> no never. Right there, huh? <laughs> never. Thanks okay, so much, no, Thank there. you so much. It's been awesome. Great. All Thank right. you.